This is episode 25, Someone Else's Dream. I sat down with Talon Edelson in 2020. I met Talon years ago when she was training to become a stuntwoman and had no idea that she's also a commissioned artist. This episode is about when the things that make you money aren't the same as what you really want to do. Come take a journey with us as we explore the inner lives of creatives. I'm Stephen Levitt, and this is the Language of Creativity Podcast. Well, thanks for agreeing to be on the podcast. Hello. I just kind of had this crazy, whimsical idea of like, hey, this would be really fun. I so, like fun things. Yeah, me too. My podcast has not been as fun as it needs to be because I've been in editing land and the only other way to do it is remotely. So I like in person because it's more like you can kind of go deeper with the topics. So I like the idea of absolute candor. That is really fun. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out. Yeah. <laughs> So tell me a little more about yourself. I know you from Stunt Lab. Yes. Cool. Yeah, I moved out to Los Angeles from Oklahoma in 2009 to pursue stunt performing and action acting and then went back to Oklahoma to get a degree, not just in acting, but in graphic and motion design from Oklahoma State and then moved back after I graduated and came back, I guess, and January of 2013, and have just been out here pursuing stunt forming and action acting sense, and then doing graphic design and art on the side amongst the you know thousands of other jobs that performers go through. <laughs> That's a tough road moving out to be in the motion picture business. Not an easy thing to get into. No, no. Everyone warns you about the monster of the city and says you really have to want to do it and tell you so many horror stories and try to urge you against it. And yeah. Well, I, since I grew up in the stunt business, but had the irony of not wanting to be a stunt performer, <laughs> I used to have friends who would kind of like come after me because of who my parents are to try and get work. So I would pretty much decide to dissuade them at all costs. And then if they were undissuadable mm -hmm. and talented, then I would say, okay, you know, I'll, I'll give you a good word or whatever, because it's not for the faint of heart. No, my poor parents, like I literally cannot fathom failing at my dreams. And whether that's narcissistic or entitled, I know people can put all kinds of ridiculous labels on it. But to me, I just like it's so important to me that I would rather like die homeless on the street here than give up and go home. So wow. I'm either going to like get it or croak. Well, you know, I mean, that's that's one of the things that I I think I've indirectly benefited from growing up in the stunt industry is knowing strong people. And probably the strongest, most fiery, like, warrior people that you know are in the stunt field. It's like you, my mom and I were talking about, she's, <laughs> she's like, most people, if they get hurt a little bit, they're like, oh, I don't have to work. And she's like, but I want to go back to work. Like, if you just throw my leg over this thing, then I can finish flipping over the way that I want to. And I'll just hobble to work. She's showed up to work with a broken foot. She's a force. <laughs> so I don't like pain. So I, I kind of don't get that part as much. But I do get the determination part. Yeah, man, your mom is one of the biggest badasses in the world. Wow. And... Yeah. Pain doesn't really bother me so much. I never felt pressure points even as a child. 
And I remember in martial arts classes, the, the they would always have a large man up next to me and they would do the same pressure points on both of us. And I would just stand there like, is this supposed to feel like something? And the other guy would like be on his knees on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you think that, I mean, because you're pretty spiritual, right? Like, yeah, I, I follow you on Instagram here and there. And so I see some of the things you post. So mm -hmm. I think that's something we might have in common. So it'll be fun to talk about that. But like, cool. I always wonder about past lives. And I always oh, wonder yeah. about like if you were maybe a warrior in another life or something like that, and you carry that through into your current incarnation. What an interesting thought. I was just talking to my friend Tiffany about this. We went to Santa Barbara last Sunday and had a girl's day and did like a hike and then sat by the beach. And actually, it was so fascinating because this third girl... We were sitting on a rock we climbed up on, just watching the ocean. There was like a bunny to our left that was on the sand and like a bird to the right. And then there was like a, a hawk that had flown right above our heads and, and was up on the cliff above us. And then there's a porpoise in front of us in the ocean. So wow. we're just surrounded by all this beautiful nature. No one else was on the beach. And this random blonde girl just climbs up the rock and pops up next to us. Hi, guys. <laughs> and she just like walks up like she's been our friend for years and just sits down. And starts talking to us. <laughs> and we were like, all right, like I get more than Mary, I guess. Um, and we all ended up doing this ridiculous interpretive dance together. It was so fun and spontaneous and absurd. I love moments like that. But it was nice having a spirituality talk with a couple girls <laughs> in such an It was all the magic absurd. of nature and oh, then magic. So much someone magic. appears. Magical mermaid. Out of nowhere. Out of the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, I'm a big fan of synchronicity and um, just when you're in your flow and everything starts to align like that. And then to me, it's like reassurance when, you know, you're just in that place and you see all the animals and the porpoises. And, uh, you know, it's to me, it's just the harmony of life. Like yeah. it's not even as mystical as people make it out to be. It's, you know, life can be harmonious if mm -hmm. you let it. You know what's so interesting, though, is I've been having some stomach pain, and I don't know what it is, and uh, I'm sure it's fine, but this stranger, this little blonde girl, looks at me, and she goes, can I put my hand on your stomach? I was like, okay. And she's like, I just want to heal it for you. I've wow. never spoken to her. I don't know who she is. And she just could tell somehow that she wanted to, like, feel my stomach energy. <laughs> and I, I thought that was so... I've had more experiences like that than I can count. Wow, lucky and you. I don't That's talk about cool. it much. So look at you being authentic in your I will just talk about anything and getting me to talk about anything. Cool. This is super cool. Uh, yeah, no, I, I've had people walk up to me out of out of the blue and, you know, tell me things that they couldn't know. And uh, I've worked with other healers, you know, who are, have the ability to do that, like, yeah. you know, put, put their hands on you and you feel the energy moving. Uh, the first time I ever did uh, experienced Reiki healing, hmm. um, I could see the colors. Oh, of auras? <sighs> no, of like the energy. Um, oh, like close my eyes and I could, I could see the energy moving, which cool. was just like, whoa, that's I didn't know I could do that. So that's super cool. That um, is very beautiful. Now, did you did you feel better? Oh, yeah. The next day, it was amazing how much my consciousness that increased I was noticing all kinds of things so so like not only did did your stomach feel better a little bit but your con you said your consciousness changed like how tell me more honestly my stomach didn't feel like it particularly had healed but my level of consciousness was substantially heightened interesting 
So what do you think the, because I mean, I think most people would think, okay, well, someone comes in and claims to heal your stomach, then <laughs> you should have, you know, a proof positive of stomach better or stomach not better. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that didn't happen. <laughs> but whatever it was, you know, like raised my vibration and my frequency and made me feel better overall. So that was really great. Um, and I was really happy for the, the camaraderie and the, yeah. Right, right. Well, you know, it's interesting because I wonder if sometimes, I mean, I don't wonder, I, I know, sometimes the physical stuff is like emotional. And um, I don't know if that's true for you. And sometimes it's just physical. But, you know, sometimes to me, like if there's something in my life that keeps happening, like physical pain or something like that, mm. um, if you can, you know, really work through whatever's trying to break free in your life, it can sometimes radically shift your body. And that's crazy. Like, I don't know if you've played around with that at all, but it's it's interesting to think about how our minds and our bodies are connected in such a mysterious way that we don't understand. So, you know, I, I had one person explain the energy thing this way, like from a clinical perspective, if someone comes up to you and cares about you, and even if they're just waving their hands at you, but you believe that that care is intent is to be helpful, that someone is paying attention to you, someone's noticing you, that alone has healing properties. Absolutely. And it can shift your body chemistry. I believe that a thousand percent. Yeah. Um, also, I never touched on your past life question, but yeah, I am. I neither believe nor disbelieve the theory of past lives. There are so many times where I feel like... <laughs> I must have been like an old Asian man in a past life because for some reason, I, a lot of my thoughts and feelings feel very similar to a lot of the old Asian men that I meet. <laughs> and I, it's, it still kind of blows my mind, honestly. Um, have you ever, like, to me, like when I encountered martial arts, I was like, <sighs> like something about it just worked for me. That's amazing. I don't know. Um, honestly, I can't be sure one way or the other. I've had a traumatic brain injury, so I often question, like, <laughs> is something that I'm thinking from that or <laughs> or something different? Um, but yeah, I, I'm not discounting the possibility, right? I don't know. There, there are so many. I feel like I just don't know anything. I'm very happy to admit that there's so many people that know so much in this world, and I honestly know nothing compared to so many people, so... I'm very that happy means to admit that you know. I know zero things. That that means that you have wisdom. <laughs> I think it's the person who could admit that there is so much that they don't know who is on a much sturdier path than the person who claims to know everything. But I digress. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> um, so okay, so you moved here to get into stunts. Yeah. And you also have a degree in motion graphics. So do you also do work? In the design area? <laughs> you know, I hated motion graphics so much that I only touched it like a couple times after I graduated. And then I've only done... So technically it was graphic design with an emphasis in motion graphics. So I completely ignored the motion graphics and the website design. I did very briefly. Look, hated it. And so the only thing that was bearable was 
some graphic design and then art commissions. So sometimes I will do those. And, you know, I went through periods of like working at Starbucks before I moved back to get my other degree. I was working at the Cheesecake Factory. And I remember I got fired for showing up without pants after surfing one day. I like forgot (laughs) to put my pants in the car. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they were like you can't come back here <laughs> so yeah i was like all right well i hate working at a restaurant anyway so and then my who needs pa- pants, <laughs> who needs pants? <laughs> my bathing suit is <laughs> oh man um <laughs> but it just wasn't for me <laughs> and my parents um heavily suggested that I went back to school to to get to kind of re-strategize and get some things so I could have a a different kind of job and not be working at restaurants. But since I wasn't able to make time with that doing what I wanted to do anyway, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, there was some heavy heavy push from them there. And I'm glad that I went back to school to get that. It has been very helpful. And I'm grateful for those skills um, that will allow me to be productive and, like, create things for people in the entertainment industry, even if it's not in the medium that I love. Um, It's still, you know, a nice opportunity to be able to be creative, and I'm thankful for that. But I don't like it. Wait, so, okay. So um, you're you're in what format of art um right now that paid like what what do you get paid to do in art you said art commissions yeah so i just finished a charcoal or no this wasn't i love working in charcoal more than most things but um i did a graphite drawing with some prismacolor color pencils and then made prints on it uh, on watercolor paper at a fine art printmaking shop for a client in ventura who saw that there were prints for sale at a store that he wanted to buy, but he was like, I'd rather pay a friend. So he contacted me and asked if I could create something similar with a little bit of my own style in it and pay me instead. And I was super honored that he thought that. I did it. It worked out great. I also just finished, um, I signed an NDA so I can't talk about it in depth, but I I did a TV pitch deck, which was really fun. Um, I actually, I liked it because it, the the content was more exciting for mm-hmm. me than other kinds of content, so I didn't hate that one so much. Um, yeah, and then uh, other color pencil drawings, charcoal drawings. My the only kind of art commission. So it's weird for me. Like art was cathartic, and I was very troubled when I was younger. I was adopted, and then like my biological dad got. Uh, killed by a dump truck like less than a year after I found him. He and his dog were like crushed to death. And then I accidentally like collapsed his body with a volleyball I was trying to fit in his coffin. And it was, and then I, it was like this awkward, like it's always sunny in Philadelphia moment. Like, oh. do I fluff it back up or do I leave it there? Or like, I don't know. Oh my God. And then I just ended up like walking out with the volleyball. I'm going to write a scene about it one day. I've not, I kind of started on one, but it's just, it's weird to like bring that to life, you know? Wow. Um, so. I would draw out of pain, and I'm happy to say that I have been feeling so happy that I don't want to do art because doing drawing was because I was hurting so much inside. Right. And now I I don't feel hurt, so I don't want to draw, and I'm happy about that. Um, wow. 
I think that's a big thing for me. I also always associated drawing with failure for me in particular because my dreams and like my childhood dreams were always doing stunts and action acting because that's mm-hmm. what I love. I'm like movement oriented. I can do movement all day and not get tired. It makes it gives me like automatic genuine joy to like be paid for movement. Yeah. And um and that kind of creativity. But when I'm like forced to sit still and do these things that I don't like that remind me of pain and remind me of failure and is like a backup. Like it just makes me feel it's hard for me to disconnect my emotions from that. Right. Well, and that's fascinating because one person's backup is another person's dream. Yeah. And we talk ourselves out of our dream all the time. Mm-hmm. And the story you shared about your parents saying, well, you should have this fallback. Well, you know, I have listeners who their their main dream career is what you're doing. Yeah. And that's why I want to make sure that I don't sound ungrateful for it because I am thankful for the skills and I'm thankful for the education and I'm thankful that I can create and be able to make money that all goes, it gets immediately funneled into stunts. <laughs> like all of that just goes to like basic expenses and stunts and has for years. Right. Well, that's um, amazing. And, you know, you're obviously talented at it. You're, you're, you're good. People pay you money to do it, which is incredible. I mean, I'm very honored now. So that's what's interesting, right? Because I had a friend and I may have shared this story already in the podcast. I don't know if it's in a released episode yet, but uh, a friend who was a guitar player and he would work on these really challenging solos. And when he was up there, you know, he'd he'd really beat himself up. I mean, like, oh, I missed a note. And he would be playing these Mm. really complicated things. He's like, Steve, it's so frustrating when I play bass. People dance, they love everything. They say, wow, that was a great show. They don't say that when I play guitar. And I said, it's because when you play bass, you don't give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) And you're comfortable and you can just get into the music and just get into the vibe of the crowd. You're not paying attention to yourself. You're not busy (laughs) second guessing the note you just played. You're just there playing. Yeah. And people feel that. And so I think that's what's weird about having a passion or pursuit. It's almost like in dating, because I'm a nerdy guy. So it's like (laughs) when I was dating, I, you know, as soon as I decided I liked a girl, that's when she wanted nothing to do with me. Because, you know, dating. Yeah. Well, but because like trying too hard, right? You know, and I'm not saying, you know, obviously with stunts, I don't think you're trying too hard, but it's. No, I have heard that a lot, just being honest. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Many times people will think that I'm trying too hard. Wow. <laughs> and when I I got more jobs before COVID, when I literally stopped caring. I like lost all hope. I was like <laughs> I feel nothing anymore. I feel no hope. I feel, I don't care. <laughs> I've what never is worked about? on a TV show. Fuck it. And then I get a TV show. What is that for <laughs> people? Like people <laughs> I, it's true in dating too. I used to I used to have friends. Like I had a lot of female friends, and they'd be like, "Why do I keep finding these asshole guys?" I'm like, "It's because they're the ones who seem confident, and they're the ones who really don't care about you. So they're just like <laughs> they're confident because they got like five other chicks, and you might you know you're just another one, and it's so there's no like there's nothing on the line for them. So they're confident, right? Idiots. Yeah, uh, and it was just like. <laughs> 
like over and over again. Like my friends is picking the wrong guys, just going like, oh, why don't you get it? But it's just Where human are those nature. Personal referrals. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I can, you know, I could introduce you to. Well, shoot, one of my friends who I would introduce you to is already. Uh, he just he just met someone, so oh. he's. Ah. Jack could you know could have tried but you know I mean that's but I think it's true I think there's something to that like um my mantra lately at work has been I create ease Mm, and it's weird like the things that I do that don't take a lot of blood sweat tears or like struggle Mm -hmm. are the things that resonate they're more fun. They're more like people just get into it more like things just sort of happen spontaneously. But when when you're trying really hard for something, I don't know if it's like a law of the universe or something, but does it kind of push it away? Like, <laughs> I, I guess so. <laughs> but like, how do you hack that? I mean, like you just said, the, the hack was, you know, I'm just not going to give a shit. <laughs> like, OK, work, not work. I don't care. Like. I'm just going to do what I so you, you mentioned movement, for example, like what other things do you do on the side to like cultivate that sense of physical movement? And do you have anything uh, that you do? Like, Yeah. Uh, well, I just got my motorcycle license a few months ago. Cool. And I really it's been a childhood dream to ride a motorcycle and to like have my own motorcycle. It's on my life list. It's like 600 things long. Amazing. And. My parents bought me a dirt bike when I was younger, and then I got grounded for something. And then they took it back on my birthday and showed me the receipt and was like, you could have had this, but you were a bad girl. No. (laughs) So, like, this is the year. It was, like, finally time where I was, like, I've been stable enough where I can, like, manifest more of those dreams, right? Yeah. And so I was like, all right, well, I need to feed more of those kind of goals and things that I think will help me feel free and fulfilled versus being like, I want a stunt job. I want a stunt job. And I was like, all right, well, you know, motorcycle riding is an, is an action. So I can just focus on this mini challenge yeah, to distract myself from putting so much pressure on myself for other things. And COVID was actually kind of a blessing in that way um, because I, I had the opportunity to, I was going to just get a motorcycle and go on the street first, but then your dad <laughs> was like, you're going to die. <laughs> you have no idea what you're doing. Let me make sure you don't kill yourself first, <laughs> Good. which I'm so thankful for. Yeah. And because um, street bikes are dangerous. Oh, yeah. When it's not just the riding part, it's the other cars part. Yeah. Everyone yeah. keeps telling me not to, but I'm making sure I do it in a very safe way. Uh huh. So well, and you, you know, you're living a dream. You're living your life the way you want to live it. Exactly. And you're also listening to smart people who say, "Okay, if you're going to do that, then you might as well come out and ride the dirt bike for a little bit." Be extra careful with it, and I'm so excited about that. And that's brought a lot of joy to my life. I've also been learning calf roping lately, and I really like lassoing more than. I mean, I never really, I'd never thought about it before, to be honest, but it's so fascinating playing on those different planes um, with the lasso and that circular movement. I'd never really worked with shapes like that before. So that's So you're spinning fun. the lasso and based on how the rhythm of the, the spin changes the shape of the lasso. Is that right? That's what the more experienced people are doing. I'm still in the noob stages where I'm just working on having the consistent loop and then casting it at the right time and making that consistent and then lassoing the object, whether it's like a fake steer head 
or um, like a barrel. And then I have to make sure that I grab it to what they call dally, practice for dallying, which is like where you tie it off. But um, so that I don't like have my finger caught in it and rip my finger off or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, like to me, it's like magic. I mean, the fact that based on how you manipulate this rope, it can change shape or it can do this or that, you know, it's, it's, there's this timing to it. There's a rhythm to it. And there's a freedom you develop as you get comfortable with it. And if you don't, you rip your finger off. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yes. Yeah. That's brought a lot of joy to my life too. So different kinds of movement and then some swimming and some stretching and martial arts. I've still consistently practiced those, all those zoom workouts really aren't the same, but I'm still Mm -hmm. grateful that my, sensei and and other teacher are still teaching some i cannot wait for jujitsu to gear back up that 7 a.m jujitsu i was doing in the morning was like chess i used to play chess with my dad every morning before i went to school and uh so jujitsu is like chess to me it's really great for strategy and decompression and i really enjoy that and it gets me up and like juice for the day so I've had a really great time doing that before COVID started or the quarantine started. So I can't wait to hop back into that next week if all goes according to plan. Yeah. I also don't know if that's very smart. I can't decide. Oh, what do you think about going back to? I'm a big fan of the idea of pods. So if you have people that you know you can trust to keep their circle small enough that that, reduce, that reduces risk, but obviously contact sports. If somebody's going to, if somebody has COVID, you know, contact sports going to make sure that you get COVID because they're sweating all over you. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, some people don't even believe in COVID. That's what's crazy. Like, that blows my mind. people are all over the map. And, you know, I kind of just look at it like, well, I mean, it sounds like a pretty terrible thing to get. So, how you know. is everyone dying if it doesn't exist? Yeah. Well, from the same symptoms. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, but not to get into politics on this show, because that's pretty much the one thing I tend to stay clear of. But, um, (laughs) you know, just in terms of the virology of it, the latest thing that I've learned is that, um, which actually confirmed a hunch I had that I kept noticing from medical workers, being exposed in a small space to someone who has it for more than 15 minutes like the more that that happens, the more your chances go up. So like in other words, if you just pass someone in the hallway mm-hmm. who has it, your chances of getting it are very low. Mm-hmm. But if you're a healthcare worker that's working in a hospital room with someone for like half an hour or whatever, your chances go way up. So, but you know, there's this whole thing right now, I mean, in terms of people in work and even society is like, well, there's gonna be a point where people can't pay their bills they can't pay the rent and then people are going to have to go back to work somehow. And it really, I think that enters the realm of like social philosophy where it's like, okay, what are acceptable losses? And it's like, wait, what? Like <laughs> that's kind of crazy shit. Uh, but yeah, just in, for, in terms of my personal opinion, I mean, if you, if you were going to do jujitsu, I would train with a select like two people that you know, you can trust to limit their circle that's that's i mean i'm not an expert though so but since you asked i am curious to see if people do it that way or what the dynamic is going to be like like i want to show up and like when i'm there you can see you you have the ability to choose who you're rolling with but like i have no idea how to tell who's telling the truth and and if all of them have already rolled together before, I don't know. So I'm on the fence about it. But um, 
whenever we're able to do contact sports again in the future, I am so excited. Yeah. It's been hard, hasn't it? I mean, it's been isolating for one. Um, Going from doing that every day, multiple times in multiple styles to not at all was weird. Yeah. It felt very, very lonely, actually. Um, But I know that so many people have felt that way. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm talking to you. You're probably going to share some things that other people are feeling, too. So tell me more. How is it? Raise your hand if you've been lonely, too. I have. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, it's. I do love the Bruce Lee quote where he talks about uh, when you're in solitude, you're least alone. So I, I like picking different quotes that I can kind of resonate with and vibe with. And like when I'm sad, I can make art. And even though it doesn't remind me of happy things, I'm happy that I have like a healthy thing to channel that into. Because I know a lot of people will like drink or do drugs. And it's like pretty normal in our society today. Mm-hmm. And I used to do those things. Like I used to smoke marijuana years ago. And um, like in college, marijuana is bad. Marijuana, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And then, um, and I used to drink, and then I got a traumatic brain injury, and then I stopped Mm. doing everything because I was like, well, I want to make sure I just could feel myself be so much slower, and my health was so important to me, and one and wanting to do what I love. So I was like, I'm gonna be as healthy as possible to rehab from this. And not make any excuses mm-hmm. and not allow myself to do things like that that are unhealthy. And then now I have, like, I really don't drink at all ever. I bought a bottle of gin <laughs> uh, right before COVID, specifically for COVID. And good choice. Had a few gin and tonics that were pretty good. But then I realized that after half the bottle, I was like very, very, very tired of it. I gave it to my roommates and then I was like, eh, I just don't really like drinking very much. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I don't like drinking that much either, to be honest. I'm kind of like, I like the taste of it, and I've been drunk a handful of times. It's not really for me. I like just, I'm not, I guess I'm not the kind of person who likes to avoid shit. Like, But you are the kind of person that likes to avoid shit, or you're not? I'm not. Like, I like to tackle things, you know? I mean, that's not always true, but I would say... Oh, <laughs> okay mentally tackle things like not push thoughts aside and like use a coping mechanism you mean yeah i mean okay. i'm sure i do all the time but it's still something like that if i can if i can self-explore and self-examine yeah. if i know how i will same that's yeah. so healthy because so yeah. many people are afraid to do that and i really feel for them because i've been there before too but like you know it's so it's so healthy to just be aware enough to realize man, this is going on in my life and I don't want it to. How can I feel better about this? How can I process Mm -hmm. this? Like it's self-sabotage. Do you want to be torturing yourself? Do you want to be sabotaging yourself? You're like punishing yourself and poisoning your body instead of like finding a healthy way out of it. Right. And I mean, at some point I realized that ultimately everything that's happening in my life, I'm indirectly responsible for. Yeah. So like you, whatever you allow persists. So... Um, and it's funny because I make that terrifying. statement about self-awareness and, and not using coping mechanisms. That I s- instantly have imposter syndrome because I'm like, well, <laughs> that's not <laughs> always true. But um, but yeah, no, I mean, I did. I kind of realized that, OK, I mean, obviously there are circumstances in your life that you find yourself in. But there and there's things that you I mean, you have to tackle. I think that are difficult that, that you're handed. Right. Yeah. But ultimately, like, 
I think those things that you're handed then all of a sudden hand you the set of beliefs about yourself that you can repeat and repeat and repeat. And if you don't challenge those, then you're doomed to get the same things mm. over and over again. Yes. Like, you know, we no talked to it. And then it's it's like this random strangers who say things like, oh, it seems like you're trying too hard. And you're like, ah, stop it. <laughs> like, that. I remember mine was when I was single was, um, oh, it'll happen when you're just not looking for it. <laughs> yeah. Stop telling me that. Like, I, you have no idea how bad I want this, you know. That's the confusing part. It's the last two people I've dated and been in relationships with, I was not looking for. I was, like, focused on my career and very averse to uh-huh. that to any possibilities of that and then they came into my life uh-huh and then it still didn't work out <laughs> or it worked out for the time that it needed to so that you could grow where you needed to grow and then <laughs> when your alignment shifted then so did those people that's true but thank God, speaking of vices, my mind keeps saying, like, you're a liar, you're a liar, you're obsessed with chocolate, tell them. <laughs> so, chocolate I have is to say, bad. Okay. all of the drugs and alcohol that I don't ingest, chocolate. Yeah, I feel like there are healthy vices, um, and chocolate is definitely one of them. Good. Unless I you're agree. like a dog and you're allergic to chocolate, in which case, stop chocolate. <laughs> um <laughs> But I feel you there because it's 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 so weird because, I mean, anything can become a vice. Oh, yeah. Anything can become a coping. And, and, you know, coping mechanisms are also necessary. I mean, I feel like, and this is full candor on my part, like I feel like I've been going through this period in life where my coping mechanisms as I heal mm-hmm. are getting taken away. Like what? Uh, Like calling friends for support. Oh, that was the biggest one lately. Like, you know, I I tend to have like five or six friends that I can kind of spread it out with so that yeah. I can like, if I'm really intense, Thank like, God. yeah, it just got to the point where everybody was so intense themselves that they're like, whoa, like not not available. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's because of COVID and that's yeah. because of the world situation. I mean, things are hecka intense right now. Very. And so, like you said, you know, using the Bruce Lee quote to like, kind of let yourself know it's okay to be alone it's like fuck i don't want to be alone like i don't want to be alone with my thoughts right now they're scary and i want to jump off a bridge right now like ah! <laughs> like, I, you know it's all you can do to just kind of go okay well that's the point where i realize how undisciplined i am because i do know how to meditate i should be doing yoga mm-hmm. like, i do have all these tools mm, and then too. i'm really good at helping other people but then when it comes to being by myself it's like no i need a partner like help me <laughs> And that's that's really immature. And so yeah. that, that's one of the things. Um, gosh, I'm sure there are others. I will mention them if they come to mind. But that was just the most recent one. It's kind of I've been trying to rewire my brain to turn coping mechanisms into a reward, I yeah. guess. And so, like, for example, I never, like I said, I rarely ever drink, but um, now I'm, I have another rule where I will only have a drink if I'm happy. Mm. And that worked out really well for me. I was like, you know, uh, when I drink, it'll be like a Bloody Mary with my parents at a wedding. And I feel good <laughs> about it. I'm not like using it to like hide anything. Exactly. And um, yeah, just being more free and open-minded and allowing myself more luxuries when I'm feeling good right. and like giving that reward system to myself is helping me feel good more frequently. So 
Well, and then finding rewards that are supportive of your life goals. Yes. So, like, for me, um, I started this podcast as a procrastination. (laughs) I was supposed to work on an editing session on guitar um, in Pro Tools with this longtime friend and artist that I work with a lot. And before we went in, I was just like, do you want to record a podcast? (laughs) And that's how we started the podcast. And it was like the best podcast. And what was funny was because I was in alignment. I've always loved talking. I've always loved radio. I've always loved microphones. And I had been considering like mulling over what would, if I did a podcast, what would it be about? So he's like, well, what's your podcast about? And I'm like, well, I'll tell you what it's about. And we just did it. And it was like instant flow. And I think sometimes offering yourself a diversion, Mm -hmm. um, like you said, you did kind of when you were like saying, I'm just going to learn to ride the motorcycle because that's something I've always wanted to do. It sort of diversifies a little bit and takes the intensity off um, because I think we can get hyper fixated Mm -hmm. um, on our goals and then not like no learning can occur if you're wearing yourself out at something. Yeah, just one thing. Diversifying is so helpful. I really undervalued that. Yeah, I mean, I was doing this uh, commercial and I was supposed to climb an office cubicle wall and like fall off like a, like really clumsy. I was supposed to be this clumsy guy. Fun. And I kept falling off like a stunt person. Like the (laughs) stunt coordinator was, we were rehearsing and the stunt coordinator was like, You just look like you're, you know, you're falling. Like you need to look more like haphazard, you know, but I couldn't, I see again, I'm not a stunt person. I couldn't loosen up enough to look like I didn't know what I was doing. And so I did it over and over and over and over again in rehearsal. And finally, a good friend of my dad's, Kevin Jackson, came over to me and he said, hey, Steve, I think you're at the point of diminishing returns. Like your body is not going to be able to learn how to do anything right now because you've crossed the threshold. And I see that with musicians all the time. Someone's recording a guitar solo and they're learning a new part. I'll send them home to tell them to go sleep on it because they're going to get more in their dream state, you know, while they're decompressing than they are from training the muscle memory while the muscles are tired. And you know that as a performer, it's like you don't want to practice the stress point, you know, over and over again because you're just going to start to like internalize that stress. I mean, have you ever encountered that in your training? Oh, yeah, definitely. And things that I it's funny because I'll have some mentors that will keep talking to me about something. And I'm like, whoa, this is a lot of information. I don't know that I can absorb all this today. And they're like, no, when you sleep on it, you'll wake up and more will have processed tomorrow. (laughs) So now I just will be very honest and open and say, this is a lot. I'm going to need to let it sink in. I'm going to need to practice this a lot. Don't expect me to be immediately good at it. <laughs> and yeah. then, yeah, it's so amazing how once you let something process and really sink in, then your mind and body can like add the creativity to it later. That's yes. why like the more you work and you get the luxury of rehearsal time, because when you're doing like indie filmmaking or like small things with your friends, a lot of people don't really rehearse, like take the time to rehearse. They do a lot of improv and man, rehearsals are such a luxury. And that's why you get such an amazing product at the end when you really get to finesse something mm-hmm. with a group. Oh, magic. I love the idea of the table read, too. It's like the yeah. demo in music. It's like, let it just be uh, the first run. Get everybody kind of getting through like the ideas and getting creative and there's not the pressure of all the blocking and the staging yet. Yeah. Um, And there's something about like 
separating those parts out that helps you be good at it. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's been very fun um, during this quarantine as well. I wrote a couple, or I wrote a short. A friend and I um, each wrote a short scene, and we're going to do them together and just film the shorts. But it was a really fun challenge to have the opportunity to write a short and then also be practicing a new skill that kind of ties into stunts with the acting and writing um, and really take the time to share that experience with someone else, even though it's on Zoom, and then be able to kind of like take it slow. Mm-hmm. And it, it's giving a lot more opportunities to like develop the character and um, and prep for filming it, which is adding another level of comfortability versus just being thrown into it. So it feels like it's coming out to be a lot more authentic, which I like. Now, do you train for acting as well? I have a degree in acting, and I did acting since I was a little girl. What I wanted, I always did acting and martial arts, which made me want to do stunts, and combining Mm -hmm. them was always the dream. But I've done acting since I was a kid. I did theater and musical theater throughout the end of university. Um, And then I actually got my SAG card through acting and not stunts. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Now, for those who don't know, tell me a little bit about the process of getting your SAG card. Mm. So SAG after Screen Actors Guild and uh, so uh, SAG and after merged and made one union. God, I don't even know. That's how many the acting years ago. union, which is also the stunt union, by yes. the way. Yes, and they. Um, so you have to either get three vouchers. It might have changed because I've had it for a little over like five or six years now, and I know that they made some changes after I joined but when i joined i guess the the dues for joining were about three thousand dollars um which is crazy yeah uh and you either have to be taft Hartleyed in which means you're a part of a project that allows you to bypass having to get vouchers or you can work background acting or something and get the vouchers on different productions but so that's in other very words, you show up to work as a non-union background actor, these cattle calls with 100 different people, and uh, every day the second AD may give out, like, or every shoot a second AD may give out one voucher to one person. Yeah, if that. they give out any. Yeah. Yeah. And so you work and work and work and work for basically minimum wage, long hours, lots of sitting around doing nothing, being in the sun, uh, being human cattle. <laughs> yes. I think they treat the cattle better on the sets, honestly. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I think, yeah, the people are definitely more easily replaceable than the cattle We are. need the people <laughs> for the ethical treatment of background actors. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that's going to piss some people off. I don't yeah. care. But that's, yeah, that's okay funny. Either. I don't <laughs> care who you are. That's <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> But oh, yeah, so the okay. days of when I used to care what people thought. <laughs> Darn. Yeah. Glad those don't exist. So anymore. okay, so so you did study acting and so that's not an area where you need a lot of development then. So I I mean one of my favorite jokes was uh when <laughs> I was not true at all. Work- <laughs> 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 well, I mean, the stereotype is there's a joke that goes a stuntman went to an audition and he was handed the sides and he said, look, what's that up in the road ahead? 
That's awesome. Because stunt people are notoriously bad at acting. So if you want to backdoor into stunts and you're a good actor, but well, I'm not even going to say that because most most stunt actors are not good stunt people. And that's the weird part. So I think you're probably... uh, you're probably both, but I've never seen you act. So. I don't know. It's all so subjective. Some people think I suck at acting, and then some people are like, hey, that's pretty good. So who knows? I think it depends on what it's for. So but subjective. Yeah, I, you know, the hard thing for me was always forgetting there was a camera there. I always would stress out that the camera was looking at me. And it's, you know, I think that's something you have to get comfortable with. You act like it's not there. But you have to know where it is. Right. And if you're doubling someone, you have to cover your face so that, you know, they don't see that it's not the actress. And but. the angles are hard because the different lenses, like, to see different things. Right. So I'm still trying to learn so much about the angles and the lenses. And there's just so much information you have to be thinking about at one time. It is very, very difficult. But look like you're not thinking about it. Look like you're not thinking about it. And focus on your performance. And you're probably wearing high heels or cowboy boots. And you're probably, Yeehaw. you know, trying not to break your ankle, right? Mm-hmm. I, fun stuff. Fun stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, tell tell me a little bit more about stunts, because this is the first interview I've done, believe it or not, with stunts. And I wow. know lots of people are super curious about it. So <laughs> one of the first stunts I had to do was so funny because <laughs> I want to say I literally walked in blind, but I really did. Like the, <laughs> I had to wear a superhero outfit. Like I was I was doubling this girl who was wearing spandex and she was literally an action hero for the scene. And it was for cracked TV. And um <laughs> I had to do a dive roll through a glass door inside. And it was so funny because I was not accustomed to doing something like that. I'd only only done like one glass fall before. And I had to do this blind dive roll. I was wearing a wig. So luckily, a lot of the glass was like shielded from my neck and and whatnot. And I was wearing um, long pants and and long sleeves. And this is what's called candy glass, which means that it's breakaway and it's designed to not be made out of real glass. Yeah. But it's still not fun stuff. And sometimes they'll put... um, what are they called? Like when they have the the technicians put in little, put in little mini hammers, little pyro charges that just explode the glass before you hit it, so yes. it's already scored. So when you go through it, it's easier to penetrate. Yes, I'm ashamed that I can't remember the terminology, but those are often used as well. I grew up on set, so I know what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> I know way more Darn. things than I use. I should know that. Um, but yeah, it was so funny because the, every take changed. And I just remember having to just be so calm and flexible about it. And then they did, they had like three different cameras going for this. So the, <laughs> I had to jump off the Apple box outside, which was not secured to the ground, in platform heels. It looked like stripper shoes. Dive through the glass with my eyes closed because I was doing like a Superman. Oh, wow. And then dive, rolling out of it. And then they had the camera right in front of me, but I had to come out with my eyes closed and keep my eyes closed until they brushed the glass off my face. Right. So, um, and then they kept moving the Apple box for each take and we only had, for each rehearsal, and then we only had, I don't remember if it was one or two panes of glass, but like two maximum. And like, um, we didn't have the luxury of doing it with the glass for the rehearsals. And then- right they ended up changing the shot and then putting the camera literally like two to three feet 
in front of where I was supposed to land with my eyes closed. Mm -hmm. The big expensive cameras. And I was like, they're like, if I kick that, I am so fucked. The lenses are more (laughs) expensive than the cameras themselves. And the lenses have been around since 1940 something. Um, Yeah. And not to mention that if you break the breakaway glass before (laughs) they get the shot, they're fucked and they don't get the shot. Oh, yeah. So don't fuck up. Yeah. Somehow I made it through and it looked great. That's, That's amazing. <laughs> but that was certainly an experience. It was right. it was a lot of fun. Everyone it's was a, really it's nice. so much fun. I mean, that's the thing I love about the movie business is it's not real. Like everything's <laughs> just okay. Today we're there aliens in the sky, and so we have pyrotechnics over here, and we have this and that, blah blah blah. You know, we you're you know we need you to do something. You know, we need you to jump off this. You know, all the things that you were your parents told you not to do when you're playing they're like this is what you're gonna do it's so funny i really want to touch on how um some people don't see any value in the entertainment industry at all and they'll Mm. like judge performers negatively but then there are so many other people that will see insane amounts of value in it like for me if I would have gone down a very dark, awful, awful path. And I honestly don't think I'd be alive right now um, if I hadn't seen movies that motivated me with strong characters and like heroes and heroines. And right. that that was like what made me want to be a better person and like have a goal to strive for and like contribute more to society and, and learn more and like have a, a goal and a dream. And without that, I would have gone down a very dark road. Because I didn't feel like I had emotional support at all. And the movies became my emotional support. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a big fan of the hero's journey and Joseph Campbell. And he talks about different archetypes in society. And so if you have someone, this kind of goes into the past life thing, maybe a little bit of the question I asked you about. Like, do you think you were a Viking warrior? There's an archetype (laughs) of people who aren't like, they're not cut out to work in an office. Like. There's something that you have to do that's, like you said, expressing expressing through movement. Mm-hmm. And so you saw people who were being different than all of the other, you know, office worker, housewife, um, shopping mall girl, you know, stereotypes. And that was that gave you something else to like a hero to emulate. Right. Well, I don't know. I think I even wrote my senior paper on me being my own hero because I didn't believe in having heroes. I thought that seemed unhealthy. Interesting. But, which is funny because it totally contradicts what I just said. <laughs> but um, well, but that actually having a specific hero, like you should be your own hero. You see something and you're like, I want to make something like that, not because of that person, but because that makes me feel like I have a purpose and like. I can, right. that's what makes me feel like I come alive. Like you think about something like that and it just charges their particles, you know? Yeah. And like that can be, I mean, I'll meet, I met a shoemaker who loved making shoes so much that that made him like immaculately happy. And him sharing that joy with me was incredible. And I think yeah. everyone should find what gives them that joy and do it. And I mean, I mean, you can find, there's a woman in San Francisco that loves cleaning up trash. She gets interviewed all the time because she just gets joy from cleaning up the city. So there wow. really is something for everyone. And that's such a beautiful thing. When so many people are trying to be someone else, like you said, I think it's one thing to have a hero or heroes that you are looking up to because you'd like to have something that they have. It's another thing to tell yourself that you'll never be that 
person. And I think True. what you were doing and saying, hey, I have these heroes, but now I'm going to be my own hero is to say, like, ultimately, like, I'm going to be who I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to be here to do what I am here to do. You know what's really f- ironic and also kind of hypocritical is that just reminded me that this year, maybe some of last year, like the end of last year, I I had a subconscious hero. Like, I didn't realize that when I stopped caring so much, I started kind of like idolizing someone because they had a situation that I really didn't know anything about. But like it was someone who was successful but adopted. So I was like, oh, well for some reason I really look up to successful adopted people because I'm adopted myself. Right. And so I was like, oh, well, they have seemingly, I don't know this person at all, but I was like, seemingly they have a functional family and um, a partner and get to do what they love and overcame things that I feel like I, you know, have overcome or want to overcome or whatever. And so I didn't realize I was like subconsciously idolizing someone like that. Um, but what, okay, everything changes. We're all, you know, just got to be flexible, I guess. Well, but I it mean, was I, interesting to identify. Yeah. I mean, I think that that does happen. And it's and it's it. both. <laughs> it's both. I mean, I think that's the thing is it's never, it's never, I mean, that was the, I don't know how much you read, but that was um, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, I have not read that or Joseph Campbell's book, but I've heard them and people have told me I should read them over and over and over again. So so the, the case in point was that... Um, one of them was that Bill Gates became Bill Gates because of his like mom and her friends had invested in this like computer club that basically gave him access to a mainframe computer at a time when not even professors could get much time on this. So he'd spend all night when he was like 13, 14 years old programming mainframe computers and learning what would help him make what he made when he made DOS but he had all this time and development because he had access to Mm -hmm. something that not everybody had not even the elite had access to at this time so I think we never grow up in a vacuum so it's like for you to have this unique circumstance and to look for other people who have maybe blazed that trail that's a normal thing but then at some point you know you also have your own trail and that's I think the individuation process right like isn't that kind of how it goes like yes i just think it's interesting because i wasn't conscious of it at all right somehow my subconscious like developed it without me being aware of that which is kind of a weird thing and then i'm thinking what else has my subconscious done that i'm not aware of <laughs> 90 percent of things <laughs> 90, maybe 99 <laughs> yeah I mean, that's just like, it's the iceberg analogy, right? Because your unconscious is the, the giant two-thirds of an iceberg underneath the ocean. You want to see aye, the tip, aye. right? So, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. So Be kind to yourselves. <laughs> yeah. And and it's a, and a, we're all in process, even the, even the heroes among us, yeah? But, and yeah. that's the secret. It's like, you know, feel good. Like, do what you love. Like, if something's not feeling good, then take a break from it. Like... You know, and I've done that, uh, shoot, like I, I rented a, this like rental car luck. I went to the rental agency and they're like, well, you know, I mean, I, today you can just pick whatever car you want. Cause you know, whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. How about that BMW? And they're like, sure. So I drive, I test drove a rented for a week, a BMW seven series or something like that, or five series. And fun. my wife was like, why are you driving this? I'm like, because it feels good. Like, 
And and it's funny that those things work like trying on how you want to feel. Mm-hmm. It's like the coolest life hack. Yeah. I just got sponsored by this clothing company in Santa Barbara called Civilionaire that I love. And I've really liked their products for years just because they're all American made and they're so simple. I'm also obsessed with tigers and they have the coolest shirts with tigers on them. <laughs> it's my favorite animal. And then um, they have this beautiful denim, like custom denim that's really high quality that they make. Wow. I'm such a fan. And so I was so honored. I would like post pictures of my t-shirt that I drove up there to get. And I, I, I was honored that they contacted me and the store manager and the owner said, you know, well, we're happy to like sponsor you if you like our clothes so much that you're like, look how proud I am of this t-shirt. <laughs> because that's what they need is they need people who feel good in their clothes to represent you know the feeling of because that's all sales and advertising is is selling the feeling of how you're going to feel when you have this thing so it does feel so good yeah also motivating yeah i mean it's true and i mean that thing you said about the shoemaker who loved making shoes Mm. i've met people who like in the line at subway I say, hey, you know, what are you about? Like, what do you like to do? <laughs> oh, I wish I was cutting hair. Okay, so why don't you cut hair? Oh, well, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I could make it, you know. Of course you can make it. Like, if your dream is to cut hair, just go for it, right? Yeah. And, like, to some people, that that's beautiful, like... positive encouragement. <laughs> I... You're a hero. That oh, makes you a hero. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, you know, I... I really, I feel like that's the unique station in life that I was given to have parents who are supporting of me and who I want to be. They didn't say, no, you have to be a stunt person. You're going to make more money. They said, no, you love music. Do music. And so I like to share that with other people. Because otherwise, like, why did I get born into this family that I'm in? Like, there's got to be some reason why I'm here. And if I'm ignoring the things that are gratitude in my life and I'm not sharing those things, then I'm really not paying attention. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. But yeah, I mean, to me, it was just crazy. I'm like, whoa, like you're limiting yourself about cutting hair. Like if you want to cut hair, cut, you know, you can do it. So I don't know. Maybe that's just maybe that's just a good example. But I'm inspired by people who really do what they want to do. And I think I had to learn that I didn't want to do stunts, so that's okay. Like, I mean, sometimes I've had times in my life where I'm like, dang it, like, I would have a lot more money right now because I would have gotten hired a lot because of my last name. But it just, to me, it wasn't fair to the people who had talent and who had the drive and who really wanted to do it. If I just showed up in these political hires and did a have-ass job, like, to me, that was wrong. And so I've struggled through life in some ways because of that. But, you know, yeah, I I appreciate that. But so tell me what your Instagram account is. And like if anybody else can find anything more about you online, how would they look you up? Oh, I love Instagram. I'm obsessed with Instagram. My Insta is at Talon Edelson, T-A-L-Y-N-E-D-E-L-S-O-N. That's T-A-L-Y-N-E-D-E-L-S-O-N. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Talon, thanks for joining me. <laughs> this was super last minute, but I, I, this is helping me out too because I have not recorded an episode in a very long time. I just need to get back in the flow. Thanks for um, the spontaneity. Yeah. You know, I got. I think I got to keep with that. I mean, just in terms of the authenticity theme. I mean, that's, that's how I roll, I guess. And so 
not doing enough of that just sort of gets me down. So thank you for being spontaneous too. And, and for, thanks for joining us on the Language of Creativity podcast. Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> You can check out Talon Edelson's latest company at Villainy Street Limited Apparel and Film, villainystreet.com. We'll have all the details in the show notes. Please like, subscribe, and review. I'm Stephen Levitt, and this is the Language of Creativity Podcast.